I'm Monica Kelly, and my guest today is Meredith Ard. Meredith, it's good to have you. Thank you so much for letting me share our story. I appreciate it. Yes, absolutely. And we would love to hear your story. Why don't you go ahead and share with us? So in 2020, um, we found out we were pregnant with our second pregnancy. And um, to much to our surprise, we were expecting twins. Um, That was definitely a big shocker to us, to my husband and I. Um, We were pretty much speechless, but thankful nonetheless. We had a pretty good pregnancy in the first couple of weeks and then um, started showing some some complications. Um, had a you know few scares, didn't know if we were uh, in the process of losing the babies or not. Um, but every appointment, uh, you know, I'd call the doctors and they would say, you know, just continue with what you're doing. Um, so we ended up going to a 16-week appointment. Um, I had to go by myself because of COVID restrictions. So we went. I went to the appointment. And they were doing the measurements of the babies, and it was pretty obvious at that appointment that something was extremely wrong between the two. One baby was noticeably larger. There was a lot of fluid and swelling around the baby, uh, and then the other baby was noticeably smaller. There was limited movement with that baby. And like so this was 16 weeks pregnant, so pretty early on in the pregnancy, the ultrasound tech got real quiet. I got real nervous. Um, she called the doctor in, and immediately the doctor said, you have what's called twin-to-twin transfusion syndrome. Um, this is now what looks like a stage four, um, which is the most severe stage. Which, and then the next is obviously the passing of one of the babies. So he said, your only option is to, one, either terminate the pregnancy and you would lose both babies, or you have to have an emergency surgery on your placenta. And my husband was on speakerphone, and we were like, what? (laughs) What do you mean we have to have an emergency surgery? Here we are thinking everything's perfect, normal, and now you're telling us we have to go somewhere. So uh, our doctors are affiliated with Cincinnati, and we live in Columbia, South Carolina currently. So we said okay, well, can this not be done like Monday? Uh, It was on a Thursday. And he said, absolutely not. Your babies are so sick. You have to have surgery like tomorrow. So we ended up buying tickets out of Charlotte. Uh, We had our, my in-laws watch our three-year-old and we flew to Cincinnati. Um, We were able to get a plane that night. Thanks to COVID, no one was flying at that time. <laughs> so we were able to jump on a flight pretty easily. Ended up in Cincinnati super late that night and then went to Cincinnati Children's Hospital at like 7.30 the next morning. We had a series of ultrasounds and they looked at the baby's hearts. We thought we were going to have a big team meeting to discuss what the next step was and Actually, next I knew I was being rushed into the pre-op area. Um, I am a nurse myself, so I kind of was realizing at that point, well, like there was a big urgency all of a sudden. And basically, I'm laying in the pre-op bed thinking we're going to have a big meeting. And the doctor comes in and said, there's no time for the meeting. We have to do surgery right now if you want any chance of survival for either of the babies. Uh, So we, my husband and I just looked at each other and 
of course we prayed. That was our first instinct was we need God. We need God's hand (laughs) and we need him through this process because we just had, we had no other option but to trust that this was God's plan. So they got my IV started, um, ended up pushing me into surgery. I was awake for the whole thing. Um, they had a big tarp kind of a drape up in front of me. The whole process was about three hours. Um, so they go into your uterus and actually use a laser surgery and um, laser or disconnect the abnormal connections that are within the placenta um, that the babies are sharing. Um, so the TTTS means you have identical babies sharing one placenta and there's abnormal connections within that placenta. So one baby's getting all the nutrition, the other baby is not getting any of the nutrition and it's bad for both of them. So during, during the surgery, because I was awake and I had to be awake because I had to lay perfectly still, any slight movement by myself or the surgeon could have easily been catastrophic for my babies. So I just remember hearing they would they would verbally announce, okay, laser on. And every time they would announce laser on, I would out loud just say, God, please guide their hands over and over and over. That's all I could say. And that was all that just kept me calm was literally just crying out to God and saying, please, God, guide these doctors' hands as they are performing surgery on my baby's basically their blood vessels. Uh, It was the the scariest moment of my life. Um, But after three hours of this procedure, they actually ended up calling in a third. There were three doctors working on me at one time, and they called in a third doctor for his his opinions and expertise. And uh, the biggest the scariest moment at that time was after they were done with the surgery, they did an ultrasound to see if we had two heartbeats because that was one of the risks was we could lose one. And sure enough, there were two heartbeats after the surgery and that was just amazing. Um, so we stayed in Cincinnati uh, for a week just to be monitored because you're at the biggest risk of your water breaking within that week. So we had to stay up there. We literally dropped everything, um, but we knew we wanted we wanted to give these babies a chance at life. So, and we we value life, and we believe you know life starts at the very beginning. And even though these tiny little babies were so small at that time, they were still our children. So went back to Charlotte and um, came back home to Columbia where we were just monitored. Everything was going great until the day I turned 18 weeks and five days. I was at home and my water completely broke. Um, It was very obvious that my water broke. We went to the hospital and I remember specifically there was a resident that was talking to us and we said, you know, be frank with us. Um, just be honest, have you seen a, a mom go through something like this and her water breaking and the baby's surviving? She said, I'm going to be honest, no. Your odds are not very good at all. Um, I've never seen I've never seen babies go through what yours had and survive with your water you know, breaking this early on. 
into the pregnancy. She said that the chances just are not good. So they gave us an option. They said, do you want to now terminate your pregnancy because of the risk of having your water broken? Could put you at risk for getting an infection, making me very sick. Or do you want to go home and just manage your care at home? And the reason they were going to send me home is because if I went into labor that early, they could not save the babies. They couldn't do anything for the babies anyways. So I looked at my husband. I said, how in the world do we decide something like this? You know, one, we're looking at my life. And I had to live. I have a then three-year-old at home. I have to be alive. But then... I want so badly life for my babies that are in my, in my womb. (laughs) And I said, how do you make a decision like this? And we call it a God wink. Um, I was praying and praying, reading my Bible, reading any, any devotional I could find. I, I was asking God, God, please send me a specific sign Send me something that I can visually see or verbally hear to let me know what we're supposed to do. And and I just kept asking God literally that whole night, God, please, I need a sign. Um, you know, there's so many times we ask him to show us things in that moment. And there are times that he makes us wait. And I just said, God, there's no time to wait. I have to know what to do. And I, I, in that moment, I look to the side, and they have these name boards in, the, in my hospital room, and it says, like, your nurse's name, the date, and then it says goal. And on the line of goal, it says stay pregnant. And that was my God wink, and that was my sign. And I said, I said my husband, and I said, honey, that's our sign, and that's what we're supposed to do. And so the doctor came in the next morning. They did an ultrasound. My babies were still alive. And he said, what do you want to do, Meredith? And I said, we're going to stay pregnant. We're going to ride this out. And we're going to put all of our faith and trust in God. So that's what we did. We went home. And through this whole journey, I knew we were going to need prayers. I knew we were going to need God's prayers from our friends and family. So I posted all of our experience on Facebook, and I was super open about what we were facing, the um, the decisions we were faced, and I just asked everyone, please, please pray for us and pray that we are making the right decision based on God's decision and not just selfishly on our decision because we want our babies here. So I was very open, like I said, sharing what all we were going through. So we stayed pregnant. Um, Every day I, I leaked water. I monitored for infection. Towards the end, I started running a low-grade fever, nothing too serious, but then I started having more contractions. The day I turned 22 weeks, I actually went into full-blown labor at home. The contractions were getting stronger, more painful, and um, I told my husband, we need to go to the hospital right now. 
not thinking this was it. We thought we'd go home, stop pregnancy, and be admitted. So that was what we didn't even pack that I recall. So we went to the hospital, told them, you know, hey, I'm 22 weeks. I'm here so we can stop labor. They looked at me and said, ma'am, your water has been broken for too long. You ran a low-grade fever at home. Your risk for going septic is so high. You could die if we don't get your babies out right now. I begged them. I said, I'm only 22 weeks. We, My babies, what do you mean? You can't, they can't enter the world right now. I I need to keep them in so they can grow. Uh, being, being a peds nurse, I've taken care of lots of preemie babies, some more chronically uh, medically complex than others. So I knew at that moment what my baby's lives could look like. And I was absolutely terrified. I didn't know what our life was going to look like. And I was scared. Like I mentioned before, I didn't want to selfishly keep these babies and then not to have a good quality of life later on. But then again, we just kept trusting God because that's literally all we have been able to do this whole time. So they called the neonatologist in. And I just like to point out as well, not so it is not normal for the doctors to offer life saving measures if babies are less than 24 weeks. Um, what is typically taught now is the age of viability is 24 weeks and older. Because I was 22 weeks, most hospitals will actually let a mom go into labor and then hand the babies over to the moms and not perform any life-saving measures, even though the moms or dads are begging for them to save their babies. It is an absolutely horrific thing that a lot of parents are going through. And that's why I'm so big on sharing my story because I want to share so much awareness that 22-weekers are viable, meaning compatible with life. Not every story will end up like ours, but I feel so strongly that every parent should be given that option and it shouldn't be up to the doctor or up to a hospital policy, whether or not their baby's lives are allowed to be saved. So we went into the OR and well, the neonatologist, he, Dr. Cooper, he is literally our angel. And he said, I have successfully intubated 22 weekers that were your boys age it's been done before, and I will do that if you want me to. God put us in the hospital we were supposed to be, and God hand-selected Dr. Cooper to be our doctor because this was the plan that he had. I firmly believe we were where we were supposed to be. And so I went back to the OR room. The babies had them via C-section because they were so little. They actually, um, I did not hear them cry. I could not see them. I actually got extremely sick of myself, so they ended up pretty much knocking me out. I went to sleep, and that's all I remember from that night. My husband was with it, and he later on told me both babies were successfully intubated and on the vent or the breathing machine. So I just thank God for that. The next morning, I woke up, and... Um, Dr. Cooper came in. He said, the smaller baby, Sawyer, is not doing well. 
if you want a chance to meet your baby and hold him alive, you need to come upstairs right now. So we called for the chaplain and the chaplain came in. We did a baby dedication because I wanted our babies to go to the Lord and that was important to us. And we dedicate our babies to God and right after we held our baby and his heart essentially stopped beating in our hands. At that moment, Sutton, our surviving baby, he actually went up on his oxygen demands at that same time that Sawyer passed. I strongly believe that our babies, it, it has been their twin connection, that as Sawyer left, Sutton felt that in his soul. I'll forever remember that moment. And so Sawyer left, and then we had our Sutton. At birth, Sawyer was 12 ounces, 11 inches long, and Sutton was 13 ounces, 11 inches long. It was just unreal seeing these tiny little humans in front of our eyes. Sutton was breathing, of course, with a machine, but he had, he was perfect. He had 10 toes, 10 fingers, just beautiful. He even had eyelashes and eyebrows. It was just amazing to see life in such just a tiny little, a tiny little baby, um, you know, even though he was only half the size of a, a normal term baby, um, but he was alive, his heart was beating, and his lungs were essentially oxygenating. So, you know, we grieved for the loss of Sawyer, but we had to remain strong for our surviving baby Sutton. We did have a funeral because of COVID, um, our grand, our parents weren't allowed to come see him in the hospital, and he just passed so fast that there was no time. So we had a funeral. In the funeral service, the one thing that really stood out to me was our pastor, Brandon. The biggest thing that he said was, there is a plan in the pain that you are experiencing. Um, and that always stuck out to me, that God's not going to let us go through pain without having some kind of a plan behind it. And at the moment, I was a grieving parent, and I thought, there, no way, no way, God, is there a, can there be any good coming from the loss of a child? But I am here to say, a year and a half later, there was a plan, and there is a plan. I'm thankful for what we've gone through, so I can hopefully use our story to encourage other parents that are in preterm labor, or if they have a doctor telling them that your baby's not going to survive, I'm so thankful that I have a survivor and I can say, yes, your baby can survive. Your baby has a chance and your baby needs to be given a chance. During the NICU, Sutton had a lot of complications. Um, He was born with a heart condition, so he had so not only did he have his preemie lungs, but he also had um, pulmonary valve stenosis. So his pulmonary valve was extremely thick, and it wasn't allowing adequate blood flow to supply to his lungs. So he had lots of things going against him. There, The first two months of his life was pretty much touch and go. We, at one point, had received a phone call from one of the doctors said, I need you to come to the hospital. Your baby is not going to make the next 24 hours. You need to come here. I lost my mind. I My three-year-old was here. The neighbor had to come stay with him. 
My in-laws met us at the hospital. My parents came to the hospital, and we basically all sat around his bedside for that whole day thinking that this was it. We're saying our goodbyes, and that's it. I just remember holding Sutton and thinking, this is not the day he's going to die. This is not the day. All of our family looked around. They said, now what? And I said, why are y'all, why have y'all lost faith? Don't lose your faith. This is not, this is not the end. Even though he was maxed out on oxygen, even though he literally turned purple as they put him in my arms, even though his kidneys had shut down, literally had not gone to the bathroom in two or three days, I felt in my heart that that was not the end of his story. I don't know what it was. I strongly believe it was God, but I did not believe that was the end. I just felt that in my heart. So we left that night. I told the nurses, I said, please call me if anything changes at all. I will be up here. Uh, I remember laying on the couch, and I got a phone call. It was about 2.30 or 3 in the morning. And his night nurse called said, Meredith, Sutton has peed. Not only has he peed, but his oxygen demands have gone down, and he has he is now in the lowest setting that he has ever been at in the entire stay of his NICU journey. And I was like, what? What do you mean? Like, he peed? And so we are just screaming that Sutton peed, and it, he is alive. And all of the nurses, they all said they are, were all celebrating at the hospital because Sutton peed. And we were just so blown away because here I am, you know, 24 hours earlier, everyone's saying he's not going to survive, and now he just turned the corner. So he had a couple more setbacks after that. Um, he had what was called um, the necrotizing. It's a common preemie thing, and it's neck. Um, basically, uh, their little immature bowels perforated, so he had a little hole in his intestine and he got septic again ended up having to go into emergency surgery the next morning I ended up spending the night there um, in one of the pumping rooms because we didn't know if he would make it that night and he made it through the night had surgery the next morning ended up with a little ostomy had a second emergency surgery the week after and then after that first two crazy months he finally got more stable enough to the point that he was ready to be airlifted via helicopter to MUSC. And the reason he had to go to MUSC is because they're the best in our state for any cardiac involvement for the kids. So we ended up flying there, and I just watched him from the ground as he's being flown up in the sky and that was just another moment that I just said, okay, God, he's in your hands, and you just take it from here. And that's all I can do is just trust you, God. We are all about faith and not losing our faith during this time. So this was literally the biggest challenge of my faith and my husband's faith, and it just tested us in so many ways. Once he got to Charleston, we were, we called it his beach house. So we literally just tried to make it the most positive experience as we could. We were able to spend the night there with him. He was there with one of us every single night. My husband and I swapped between work and we decorated his nurse or his room, um, put up pictures of our family, just really tried to embrace it and 
it it is what it is and that's just kind of where we were in our life and we can't just lay around and be sad about it and it was really hard you know we're still grieving we're still grieving the loss of our baby but we're almost in fight or flight staying strong for our survivor meanwhile having a three-year-old at home that was you know also missing us we were just pulled in so many directions um, but he did so good at his beach house, and he grew. Uh, he actually ended up having open-heart surgery in December of last year, so we're over a year out now from open-heart surgery. He did phenomenal with that. Um, he was only, gosh, he was in the cardiac step-down only for a couple of days after, and then or cardiac ICU for a couple of days, and then went to the step-down unit, and just did amazing. Uh, literally anyone that came in was just blown away, one, by him being a 22-weeker, and two, by just what all his history was. Um, he had experienced pretty significant brain bleeds in the beginning. Um, we, we don't know how that's going to affect him later on in life. We just have, we have therapies. He does PTOT speech therapy. Um, he has a G button, so he gets fed through that. Um, but I will say we were all sick with COVID a couple of weeks ago. He, he actually got COVID first and gave it to all of us. Um, and during our quarantine, he decided he wanted to start eating by mouth. So he has been eating food, uh, which is just a blessing and an answer to so many prayers. He did fantastic with COVID. Uh, he brought, we brought him home on oxygen, um, but about six months later, we were able to get him on room air. So he's been on room air this entire time. He is literally the happiest baby. I know he's mine. I know I'm partial, but he is such a joy. His smile is infectious, and he has such just this drive for life, and he inspires me every single day. You know, when I think I'm having a bad day, I just remember what all literally he went through. And if he wants to be fussy, he's allowed to be fussy. It is okay. Um, and I can't also go without saying what a joy his older brother has been. He'll be four next week. And just seeing now the bond between those two is just so heartwarming. You know, we still have our moments that we grieve, um, being around identical twins. It's really hard for me. It's still questions. I still have questions. I don't question God. I question what life could have looked like. And, you know, I, it makes me sad at times. Um, and then, you know, seeing pregnant moms, I grieve that because I also missed out on half of my whole pregnancy as well. But I also know how fortunate I am that I actually have a baby because there's so many parents out there that are trying actively and can't get pregnant. So the fact that we have our baby, we know how blessed we are. And like I said, the fact that he's a 22-weeker and we were given the option even for him to be alive is such a big blessing as well. There is a group called 22 Matters, and I connected with them on Facebook and social media the administrators on there, Amy and Kayla, and their entire mission is to raise awareness for 22-weekers and give parents facts and statistics 
and connect them with hospitals that have been known to save 22-weekers. So they are doing such an amazing ministry for other, we call, they're, we're called micro-preemies, um, micro-preemie parents. They are playing such a key role in that. And um, throughout all of this, you know, the NICU journey is super, you feel very alone. You know, even though you're in a huge NICU and there's parents all over, staying with their babies, still such a lonely time. So within the last couple of months, we just launched a support group for our local NICU current NICU parents and then NICU grad parents. And so that has been a really neat way for me to connect with other NICU parents and to provide them encouragement as well. We did a big Christmas tree drive. So we were able to get donations to be able to purchase and um, everyone sponsored a Christmas tree for every single baby in the NICU and all the leftover um, funds and donations went to gift baskets for all the parents. Um, so that was such an awesome way to give back to those families that are in there. That is our story. <laughs> that is an incredible story. When I relive certain things, I get emotional for sure about different parts of it because just like, wow, did that really happen? Sometimes it still feels like an out-of-body experience. Like, what? <laughs> Did we really go through that? But yeah, I've just been super vocal with all of this on social media because we just had so many people praying for us that I just wanted everyone to know that, yeah, you can go through the worst storm of your life, but to not lose your your hope and to not lose your faith and keep your eyes set on God, it's not easy by any means. I wanted to be mad at God. We lost a child you know, why did this have to happen to us? There's plenty of other identical twins out there in the world. Why did this happen to us? Um, But I really had to focus on my mindset and just make sure that I didn't turn all of this into anger. And I tried to find the good in all of this. And and we have, and we have such a sweet baby and I'm just thankful that he's alive. So how was Sutton today? He's so good. He's such a happy boy. He smiles. He has like 10 teeth and he, he, his smile just brightened the room and he's starting to wave and he's just such a happy baby. He has an ear infection. He's not happy about that, but (laughs) otherwise he's such a happy boy. And like I said, he's no longer on oxygen. And even with him having COVID, he did get the antibody infusion, which I believe helped him a lot, um, but he he's doing amazing. He's he's still delayed with his um, his development, but I mean, it's, it, it is what it is. You know, we just take it day by day and we can't we can't wish we had a different wife because we've got him. So the biggest thing is just spreading awareness for 22 weekers. That's literally my heart and passion. And I know the foundation, um, 22 matters. That's, that's it. Like, that's my biggest is to let everyone know, like, just because a baby is before what a hospital considers viable, that just kills me that to know that there's moms out there that a doctor just hands the baby into their arms and the baby passes away. I'm that's like, not okay. That? Oh, that is not okay. So there's the organization, they're trying to like change legislation and work on this. 
um, to do that. But what they're doing is really just like connecting with other parents and they have like a whole interactive, um, it's like a map. And then you, you, it'll tell you where um, the hospitals are closest to you that have saved babies or have agreed to intubate babies that early. That's so important. Well, you're a voice and there's a reason. So Meredith, thank you for your time. Of course. Thank you so much. I appreciate you calling and connecting.